Some will say the following story should not be told. There will be those who argue that such events have no place in an entertainment magazine. Perhaps they are right, but we don't think so, because we've seen these noble creatures, human beings, wrecked, made less than animals, plunged into hells of agonies. We've seen it, we're angry, and this is our protest. I'm Mitty Webb, and today we're going to talk about Green Lantern Volume 2, Issues 78, 81, 85, 86, and 87, here on Speechless. Welcome to episode two of Speechless. And uh, as a note, if you hear a fan in the background, I'm, I'm deeply sorry about that. We're, I'm dealing with a heat wave currently here in Atlanta at the time I'm recording this. So uh, it was either not record this or record it with a fan sound. So uh, I apologize if you can pick it up over the mic. Uh, but today we are going to jump ahead to 1970s. We're nine years from our last episode. Uh, and we're actually going to the Green Lantern comic. Now at first, it seems odd. You know, why are we Going into Green Lantern, this is supposed to be a retrospective on Green Arrow. Well, uh, Green Arrow has been through a, a lot of changes right now. Um, he, as I mentioned last episode, uh, he was kind of a second-rate Batman, frankly. He was a millionaire with tech and a boy sidekick and whatnot. And I think the writers started to recognize that there was a lot of overlap with that. So in uh, Justice League of America number 75, uh, Green Arrow has lost his fortune uh, and started dating Black Canary. Basically, his attempt to kind of reinvent the character a bit. And also, uh, it was to kind of get him back to his roots as an homage to uh, uh, Robin Hood. But then he kind of left the book afterwards, from what I understand. Um, again, uh, issues are kind of spotty around this point. Uh, but um, he was moved into Green Lantern's book, uh, partially, as I understand, because Green Lantern sales were dipping a little bit. Uh, Green Arrow wasn't, didn't really have a book to be in. And it was also a move to try to introduce more political relevance into comic books. So... If any of you are listening who are genuinely believe that politics just entered comic books the past few years, <laughs> hell no. Um, comic books were always political. I mean, this is even not even counting the all artists political stance that this podcast tends to have. This is an objective attempt to try to be very clearly political about modern or at the time 1970s American politics. Uh, and this book was an interesting attempt to try to balance uh, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan at this time, his much more conservative Golden Age ideals with Oliver Queen's newly discovered uh, liberal ideals. So this is an attempt to kind of, of give some interesting tension between those two characters by balancing those viewpoints. Um. So we are starting with uh, issue 78. Actually, um, Green Arrow was introduced in issue 76, uh, and I'll cover that kind of gap to, to 78. Uh, but uh, the, the, the creative team was a little less consistent on this run, but still pretty consistent. Uh, generally, uh, they were written by Dennis O'Neill, uh, with the exception of the backup story in issue 87, which is written by Elliot Megan. All of the pencils were done by the, the amazing Neil Adams. Uh, the inker was uh, Dick Giordano, uh, Giordano, except for issue 78, which is Frank Giacoa, and issue 85, which Neil Adams inked himself. Uh, all the issues were lettered by John Constanza and edited by Julius Swartz. And again, huge thanks to the DC Fandom Wiki for helping me out with this information. And this is... As far as I know, the only run of comics I plan to cover that I've actually previously read. I, I picked this up because, frankly, I, I like Danny O'Neill and I like Neil Adams. And a lot of people had recommended this specific run to me. And uh, there was a collection of 11 issues that covers the meat of this run. Green Arrow continues on after this, but this is kind of the this, – this 
11 issue stretch from 76 to 87 is kind of the, the big meat of their uh, working together on this. Um, so I remember this, this fondly, but also uh, to kind of bring context for what I'm about to tell you, this is very much 19, early 1970s politics and told from the perspective of white men. So you have to say this was radical for the time and arguably some case, some elements of it are still radical today. Uh, but there are going to be some parts where it's a little rough and uneven. I'm going to try to, to smooth over some of those points as I discuss them. But if you go back and read the comics, uh, uh, understand you're going to find some outdated language, some outdated presentations and the like. Yeah, that, that's a pretty standard disclaimer for all comics, but in particular because these comics are attempting to do something on the level of social justice, it's worth to kind of clarify when you're going in that this is 50 years ago. Uh, so anyway, we'll start with issue 78, My Kind of Loving, A Way of Death. So previously in issue 76, uh, one of the Galactic Guardians, these are the people that uh, basically command and run the Green Lantern Corps, uh, one of the Galactic Guardians was convinced by Green Arrow to become mortal and tour America with him and Al Jordan in a green pickup truck to kind of learn about the human condition. Uh, as a result of this, Al is considered to be quote unquote, on leave from his normal duties as Green Lantern, so his ring's power has been reduced. Uh, combined with that, um, he's been struggling with getting his ring to work consistently because as Green Arrow opens Hal Jordan's eyes to kind of what's really going on in America at the time, uh, his willpower, which is the thing that fuels his ring, has been up and down. So occasionally uh, his Green Lantern ring has not been working as effectively. So this issue starts with uh, Black Canary is motorbiking in Washington State when four thugs belonging to a motorcycle gang called the Demons attack her, hoping to steal her bike. She defeats them all effortlessly, but one of her assailants recovers and runs her down with his motorbike, knocking her unconscious. A mysterious figure finds her and carries her off. Two weeks later, Oliver Queen, Helen Jordan, and their guardian companion arrive in the nearest First Nation reservation looking for food. However, soon after they finish eating, the same thugs who attacked Black Canary appear and assault the proprietor, making racist comments. Ollie and Hal suit up and subdue the attackers, Hal using, Ollie using a net arrow. But they soon recognize that one of the motorbikes is actually Black Canaries, which is built for her by Superman. Green Arrow is enraged, forcing Green Lantern to hold him back. After the demons are apprehended, Green Arrow and Green Lantern investigate the site of Black Canary's attack, and though the trail is cold, they soon catch a glimpse of the canary herself. Strangely, though, she states that she cannot go because the place is her home. A mysterious man named Joshua appears, explaining that she is now part of his family to whom he preaches the truth. It soon becomes clear that Black Canary has been brainwashed. Before giving up for the moment, Oliver kisses her, which jogs her memory. Before fully breaking free of Joshua, she gives her package. He gives her a package containing a gun, which he influences her to take. Oliver and Hal argue over Black Canary's rejection and a two-part ways. At night, Oliver discovers that Joshua is training his family, including Black Canary, to use firearms for the purposes of killing all people of color. Green Arrow signals for help to Green Lantern, but he is soon shut down by Joshua's people. While Green Lantern deals with the attacker, Joshua and Black Canary escape and come upon an injured Green Arrow. Joshua commands Black Canary to execute him, but she cannot. Green Lantern appears and stops Joshua from shooting Green Arrow himself, using a ring to create a construct of a clenched fist to stock the maniacal racist leader across the jaw. This causes the gun to turn towards Joshua's heart and go off, killing him and thereby severing his control over Black Canary. All seems well, but Black Lantern warns that Joshua is not the first of his kind. So, um... Uh, kind of going through this, uh, obviously, we're starting pretty early on tackling a huge topic. And that's something that's a pretty strong trend through this run of comics, at least in early comics, is here is a social issue and the comic's going to address it and how superheroes fit into that issue. Uh, and a lot of them ultimately end on the side of Oliver Queen going, yeah, that's great, but you can't actually solve the systemic problems which is kind of the running trend of this. Uh, but uh, uh, going through this, I mean, we certainly uh, have some interesting power fantasy in a positive way, I think, here, uh, where uh, um, Black Canary is assaulted by several men, but she actually defends herself quite well, um, which is, you know, <laughs> this is a situation where usually the, the result, the, the reverse is very much true, unfortunately, for, for women. 
Um, so although she is captured, she certainly makes a good showing of herself. Um, uh, the uh, First Nation people who are presented in this uh, are presented generally positively. Um, certainly, there's a lot of, of, of outdated language used, uh, but it's not meant clearly not meant to be insulting. And in fact, um, uh, the, the the First Nation people are presented in a much less stereotypical way than they usually are in comics of this era. They're they're presented more more homogeneously. Um, so, for example, um, that there's an owner of a restaurant uh, who's kind of makes some jokes like, you know, you know what do you have in the menu? Is it, well, I have beans, I have beans, and oh yeah, beans. Uh, the the people, some of the characters treat the owner badly um, to, to showcase that they are bad guys, uh, uh, particularly the, the motorcycle goons. But um, it, the, the comic makes a sincere attempt to try to present people authentically, which is nice. It's very refreshing because certainly that is, was not true in the 61 comics I read. Um, it's not consistent. There's an issue we're skipping over where that is handled less delicately, but at least in this issue, it's handled pretty well. Uh, so visually, um, I mentioned before that, uh, there was a lot of the nine panel grids, uh, which was occasionally shaken up. We're, we're seeing an evolution of style here. Neil Adams really kind of starting to move the needle in terms of visual presentation on page three, for example, the, uh, fight scene with black canary, there are no panel lines, but there are several scenes of black canary fighting. And also the whole thing is done, uh, in a duo tone. So it's a uh, dark blue for the inks and then a light blue background. Uh, and then the text is kind of woven around uh, the different drawings of her beating up the thugs. Uh, and there's another example on uh, page seven where uh, Hal Jordan is recharging his rings and reciting the oath. And uh, the panels are angling up towards the lantern in the center of that top panel. And the bottom panels therefore have a kind of angled approach. Uh, so we're definitely seeing some, some uh, playing with layout in this issue. Uh, also, I kind of downplayed a bit in the summary, but in, on page 10, when Ollie punches out uh, the guy who, uh, you know, he's trying to question about where Black Canary is. The second panel, he slaps him and there are blood drops streaming from his hands. And then on the fourth panel, when he knocks him out, uh, the actual punch is off panel. But again, there's a spray of blood coming from that off panel impact. So he is brutally beating this man, which gives more sense of why uh, Hal is pulling Ollie off, and, and certainly Ollie is, 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 his body language is, is very visibly angry um, and violent. Uh, uh, again, going to the sympathetic portrayal, um, there's a bit on page 11 I kind of want to read um, where the, uh, um, own, they, they talk to the restaurant owner again, and uh, he makes a comment of uh, you people have been walking all over us for 400 years. Why get remorse at this late date? Uh, and so Oliver Queen actually says, hey, what's, what's on your mind? And what, what, what particular gripe do you have? And the response is, lots of gripes. The white eyes swiped our land, broke trees, hurt us like animals into reservations. Now the big bellies in the capital are talking about taking away our fishing rights. Next, I want the marrow from our bones. Uh, so there's there's making some very clear statements of first nation rights that have an ongoing grief for, for, for quite a long time now, over, over a century. And uh, it's just kind of dropped into this story. The, the story didn't need this scene. Uh, it could have just been the government's coming, taking your fishing rights, which is kind of the big hinge of, of this issue. Uh, but, but by building that backstory of like, no, these people have a lot of legitimate gripes with the U.S. government. And it puts Hal Jordan in the position of having to kind of trying to defend it because his stance is that he believes authority is good. Uh, he is quite literally an authoritarian, and he, that gets broken down over the course of these issues, um, whereas uh, Ali, who has lost everything and has kind of seen what happens uh, 
um, is coming from the opposite standpoint of like authority is never good. He is, he is borderline anarchist. And in fact, he's called anarchist at one point in an earlier issue. Uh, so these are very, you know, obviously a divergent perspective. And, and the comic definitely presents that both sides have valid points, although Hal's points are less valid consistently than Ali's points. Um, while Ali has his own problems, specifically he has a massive temper, uh, Hal generally is well, this is why authority is good and it's shut down. This is why people need to charge and it's shut down. This is why I do things to the law and it's shut down. So his points are more continually undermined by the comic, but uh, Ali is not also presented as always correct in his liberal views. Uh, but anyway, so I bring it up because the, the comic itself seems to definitely – is very clearly skewing uh, a liberal in this front, um, and, but it's putting some interesting language in other characters' mouths. Uh, so we have the confrontation uh, with Joshua, um, who is a white man who's straight up appropriating uh, First uh, Nation garb. So take for that what you will. It's not directly addressed in the comic, but you know, as a metaphor for appropriation, it's interesting. Um, we have another uh, gridless panel on page uh, 14 where there actually are kind of lines between the different scenes as uh, uh, this is uh, Black Canary doing a flashback. Uh, and uh, But the lines are much wavier and much more dreamlike. And then, uh, again, all the scenes are light and dark blue. But then... Over top of it, there are these, these very small uh, shapes that, in yellow that make up the shape of Black Canary's face. So we can just you know, see her very strong close-up in this yellow stark thing. And then through the image of her face, we see that this memory she's having. It's, it's, again, Neil Adams is really playing with the, the visual language of comics in 1970. And it's, it's just... It's just amazing to see. So if you're, I read this originally through in um, panel by panel view uh, on DC infinite. And I'm sure most of you probably did as well. If you use that service, I do recommend if you have a chance to go back through and just even look at the layouts, because there's some page layouts that are, that are amazing and worth kind of looking at. Um, on page 18, you start to see what will become a staple of 70s comics layout, um, which are lots of slanted panels. When you get into a heavy action scene to kind of give that some dynamism, um, you still have what is effectively a five-panel grid, but all of the lines are at an angle, so everything, nothing quite lines up. So that kind of slightly disorienting layout uh, uh, you know, gives you a sense of energy and a sense of unease, which is usually what these actions are trying to convey. It's a, a small touch. And it's interesting because like a lot of comics going forward will use this probably a little too much. And then it falls out of fashion again in the eighties. Uh, but Neil Adams is not only doing this, but also separately doing stuff. Like I said, the panelist stuff, which is, which consists to this day, but this kind of, we have a grid, but it's not lined up thing that, has generally fallen out of favor. It's so you still see it now and then, but usually it's uh, uh, more of a panelist dynamic. Um, and I think that's all the visual things. We do have a great moment on the bottom of twenty-two where um, Black Canary is pointing a gun at uh, Hal Jordan. No, I'm sorry, at Ollie. And uh, we just, it's just three dialogueless panels of her holding the gun and becoming increasingly sweaty and shaking. It's uh, a look towards where comics will go. We're again a great kind of transition point because uh, '60s. If you all remember the '60s comics, a lot of information was crammed in each individual panel, and the stories were felt very full. I mean, you got maybe 18 pages, but there's a lot of story crammed in there to the point where it's occasionally hard to follow. Uh, this we're now moving to what we call decompressed, where you sometimes have a moment stretch out over several panels. Um, it's used extremely sparingly at this point, but again, this is something that would have just been her pointing a gun and going, no, I can't do it or whatever. But now there's no dialogue. We see all the, the emotion is on the face and Neil Adams does a great job of portraying her uh, discomfort with this. 
And then uh, at the bottom, uh, I mentioned this last episode, uh, there's a big white space at the middle last page because, again, uh, DC still had half-page ads at this point. They weren't nearly as often because it's the only time you see it, and I think they phase out uh, later on in our run, but uh, you still see the occasional half-page ad here. Uh, so that is uh, issue 78. Uh, so we're going to jump ahead a few issues to 81, Death Be My Destiny. The Guardian returns to Oa and to face trial by the Guardians of the Universe for having put the needs of an individual, i.e. Hal Jordan's life, over the needs of the Earth. Uh, and a quick digress, but this has happened in issue 80. Uh, basically, all you really need to know is that there was an oil tanker. Um, the oil tanker had a bunch of uh, chemicals on that would pollutes the area and so uh it was either save hal jordan's life or stop the people being um dumping overseas the the so uh hal was saved instead and the guardian is not being on trial for that uh so the heroes green arrow green lantern and black canary attempt to vouch for his character but their friend pleads guilty despite the hero's plans the guardians dictate that the accused be stripped of his immortality and exiled to the planet of multus they do, however, allow the Terrans to escort him. The group is surprised to find that Montes is highly populated given the long interval since the Owens have been there. Also, the citizens appear hostile, particularly towards Black Canary as she is a woman. They escape with Green Lantern's help and decide to investigate by using his ring to dig up the city's archive building and get inside. The archive's caretaker has locked himself inside due to the other's hostility. He explains that due to a series of complex events, Maltus is overpopulated, breeding hatred for outsiders and women who could bear children. They resolve to find and stop the source of the overpopulation, Mother Juna. Once inside her fortress, they are attacked by Mother Juna's goons and flee to the lab. Green Lantern and Green Arrow use what they can find to take out the goons, while Black Canary defeats Mother Juna. An angry mob soon breaks into the fortress, and the heroes must pull Mother Juna out to prevent them from killing her. She explains that she has been left barren by a cloud of cosmic dust, one of the unlucky ones to remain barren, and has started cloning people in order to be a mother. Guardian and Mother Juna stay on Maltus to help rebuild, and the Terran heroes return to Earth. Uh, so uh, we are already at the end of the Traveling America arc. Uh, that was This whole 11-issue run is kind of referred to as the uh, hard-traveling heroes era, uh, the idea that... Um, the whole premise is going to be Green Arrow and Green Lantern traveling the U.S. back and forth with a pickup truck. That actually only lasts about five issues. Uh, then you move into slightly more traditional superhero team-up dynamic. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the show, the, I, I feel like the uh, comics start to fall apart at right around the time that we cut off is because it becomes increasingly implausible that Green Air Lantern would haul Green Arrow in or vice versa. Um, there's some pretty good setups over here, but they start to run dry of those. Eventually, uh, Green Arrow falls off the book. Uh, but um, this is, again, kind of almost Star Trekian uh, allegory at this point, rather than directly addressing a, uh, a, a political issue like in the previous issue. Uh, this is done through allegory, uh, talking about how population explosion can eventually endanger the Earth, uh, which is not a topic that we often think about today, uh, but certainly was actually pretty high in the popular consciousness around the 70s. There was a lot of concern that we would eventually die. We would just become overrun. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll dig into it. It's a little problematic, but it is interesting that just to see another topic addressed that's not as irresonant as today. So some of these is like, oh, that resonates now. This is not one that resonates today. So Looking back on it, gives us an interesting perspective on the differences between 70s uh, social satire and now. Um, so again, page one, we have some interesting uh, panel layout this time. Um, the top panel is kind of uh, carving into the bottom panel almost as uh, the Guardian is pointing at the team. Uh, and the, the accused guardian is very small along with the humans. So it, get, it gives a sense of, of power and perspective. Even though these are two moments in time, it does look like the guardians are literally looming over uh, the accused and the other heroes. So it's a nice visual touch. Um, we also have a case of Black Canary's uh, hair breaking into panel on page two. Um, so like uh, overlapping elements, uh, which is another way of kind of playing with layout. 
And I want to stop. Um, part of the reason why I have been doing this is I wanted to kind of compare and contrast uh, Green Arrow and Hawkeye. And I haven't been doing much of that because, frankly, the Justice League time was kind of – was a very specific time. I mean, it wasn't really the Green Arrow that we know now. Um, and the early introduction of Hawkeye as a villain – who was is very clearly modeled off of Green Arrow to the point where his purple contrasts with the green. I mean, so even the color choice was meant to kind of connect. And so the Avengers era of Hawkeye is very different because Green Arrow is a team player and just kind of showed up as really a support character, whereas Hawkeye was like, "I'm going to tell people they're wrong and I'm, you know, I'll do my way." Uh, so we now have Ali. Potentially inspired by that and going in an even different direction, whereas uh, Hawkeye is basically a self-absorbed crook. Um, Green Arrow is a, social, a literal social justice warrior. Uh, he is fighting for social justice in a very real way. Uh, but the, the, the side of that is um, now we have Black Canary uh, dating Green Arrow, and then in the 80s, uh, we will have uh, Mockingbird, who is a similar character dating Hawkeye, and to the point where I keep having to make sure I say Black Canary and not Mockingbird <laughs> while I'm reading these. The dynamic is so close. Um, but again, this 1970, it's probably the most around the West Coast Avengers era of the 80s where Hawkeye starts having that relationship. So there's a lot of clear influence going back and forth beyond just the initial inception of the characters. Um, so if I do occasionally screw up and say Mockingbird, you know why. Um, uh, but anyway, back to uh, breakouts. We have another one on page three where House Head breaks out of the panel. Um, but uh, that's really just kind of minor points to the, the feast that is page four. Uh, uh, it's um, Hal is threatening to quit the Green Lantern Corps um, because he's sick of what he's seeing. He's, he's disgusted by the facts that the a guardian found the value of human life, his human life even, uh, and he's now being punished for it. Um, and so he, he's, Threatening to quit, he's walking away, and the top panel is him walking away. We see his angry face in the foreground, and three of the other guardians kind of talking about it would be a shame to lose him, uh, but he is just, after all, human. And then the bottom panel is where they're being banished to Maltus, but the actual panel is shaped in the rest of Hal's body. So that um, we see this really cool kind of Kirby-esque cosmic scenario as the four characters are being uh, shunted to this planet. And then the description of it are all along the white space around the outside edge of Hal's body. So basically Hal's body becomes the, the action for the next scene and it's very cosmic. And it's an interesting visual point, not only because it's a cool looking page, but also it shows how Jordan's character is. He's the balance of humanity and cosmic. Uh, and so when you have the top half saying how he's only human, the bottom half of the comic showing you he's very cosmic, There's it's an interesting juxtaposition um, only separated by a thin white line. So it's, it's more just Neil Adams' fantasticness. Um, so uh, we arrive. Um, there's a combat scene on page seven with more slanted lines. Um, again, we're seeing kind of a small touch. Um Page nine, I don't know if I mentioned this last episode, but the DC convention of flashback is that panels have rounded corners. And uh, that's actually a convention that persists for a very long time. Um, Marvel plays with different conventions. I don't think they ever settled on one. I think they eventually do adapt rounded corners. I may be mistaken on that, but it's so consistently a DC thing. Uh, I've just recently learned is that they use the rounded corners to signify a flashback. Um, in this case, uh, there's the additional step of uh, black dialogue box, or sorry, black uh, caption boxes with, with yellow lettering as opposed to the usual kind of lighter color with black lettering. So it's almost like an inverted caption box. As they're talking about the history of how this planet get there. And also, um, uh, all of the colors are blues and pinks uh, as opposed to you know a full range of color. So um, even the colorist is kind of really helping to sell that this is a flashback. 
And then um, when the transition back, uh, we have them all, they're all standing around the computer screen. The computer is the one telling them this whole story. Um, and everything is uh, yellow, but with the heavy shades of green. And uh, these kinds of color as emotion things are, they fade in that fashion. Uh, they're starting to become fashionable at this point. Uh, in the 60s, it was very much you color what's on the page. This is now we're starting to see playing with color to give a certain kind of emotional connection. Um, they're usually done in the context of this. The, the environment could also explain why the coloring is this choice. So it's still trying to be realistic. And so like if you're in a darkened room with this green monitor coming down on you, that's why everything's kind of tinted in green. Um, but we're starting to, to, to play with that. Um, if you fast forward to that digression a bit, but if you test forward to cur current times um, in the past year or two, uh, the Batman Beyond comic, um, they would they would they would occasionally just change the colors of a panel to uh, white and red, specifically for kind of this is a shock moment. There is no reason why this panel has changed color except for to kind of sell. Boom! This is a, a big twist or a, a, an attack or something, and they keep it like once every few pages, but it's always kind of a, a big kind of gut punch moment. So that's color purely is telling a story. Again, in my last series, I talked a lot about how uh, uh, purple was used as a way to kind of sell a story and how the coloring and the, the flatness and the color uh, choices were all there to kind of tell a story in uh, the, the Hawkeye series. This is still early days, but we're starting to see people playing with that. Um, and then uh, I do want to touch on that one point is when we get into uh, – oh, sorry, before I get into that. Um, we're starting to see another problem with uh, Silver Age uh, Green Lantern, which is that uh, whenever you want to depower him, just make someone yellow. So the main villain being randomly yellow is even kind of remarked on a little bit. Um, but uh, it's like, blast, everything's yellow. I might as well trade my ring in for a, a pea shooter. Uh, so, I mean, like – why is everything yellow? It's, it's there purely to confront and confound uh, Green Lantern. But it also, again, uh, like I mentioned last episode, if you're flipping through the comic and you suddenly see a big yellow panel, you realize, uh-oh, Green Lantern's in danger. So while narratively it is a frustrating convention, visually I continue to uh, uh, reiterate that it is a, a fantastic creation because the last – there's, a, there's two or three pages, uh, pages uh, 16, 17, which are just so heavy and yellow. And so just even glancing through, it's like, oh, yeah, this is the part where uh, Green Lantern kind of gets beat up. And so Green Arrow kind of steps in. Um, but anyway, so uh, they have the conflict uh, with Mother Juna. Um, and we get into an area that, that, that that's, that's pretty problematic, but um, it's worth addressing. Uh, they 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 they. they Black Canary specifically calls her evil for what she's done, and and she is. She 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 caused this environment to happen, um, and she's like, who are who are you to judge? I was always taught that a woman was nothing if she wasn't a mother. I was one of the unlucky ones. I didn't recover from the cloud. I could never have babies of my own. Did you see? I had to do what I did. I had to create life. Now, um, the comic is not necessarily saying her viewpoint is right. In fact, arguably, the, the, the story itself is arguing. Is, is, she's an evil person for wanting this. Um, and this is hedged by the fact I was always taught that a woman was nothing if she wasn't a mother. Um, looking back on it, we know that women should not be, A, not all mothers are women and B women should not be uh, valued purely for their reproductive values. Um, but because it's an alien culture, it's the, well, maybe in this culture it's that way, but it's an allegory for overpopulation. So it, 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 it's, it, it doesn't quite land in my opinion. I, I, it's trying to uh, do something there and it's just not quite working in my opinion. Um, I, I feel like it's, it, it's something that I could see why maybe, at the time, it landed fine, and I could see it. Maybe it's much more of a, in hindsight that looks concerning. Uh, so I, I don't feel like it was an intentional element, but uh, certainly that's one part that that you could look at and go, okay, yeah, here's an example of how this comic. You can see what it's trying to do, but it's definitely not aging well. 
so um, we are going to uh, jump ahead uh, to issue 85. Snow Snowbirds don't fly. And this is the issue, right? Um, when people talk about this run, this is the issue they talk about, uh, to the point where I almost use the quote from this cover as the intro line. Uh, but instead I used the interior quote. So I mean, it's still from this issue, but the, the, the quote on the cover, well, let me explain. Uh, so the, so the, the recap is Oliver Queen is attacked by thugs on the streets, and despite beating them soundly, he is surprised when he is shot in the shoulder by one of his own arrows. Finding no help from strangers, he crawls to a hospital and collapses before anyone offers him help. After being treated, Ollie calls up his friend Hal Jordan to discuss the significance of the arrow. Ollie suggests that he has been neglecting his ward Speedy and worries that he may have been captured. They follow Ollie's lead to a basement where they find a withdrawn junkie begging for a fix from a Mr. Broden. Green Arrow and Green Lantern force their way into Broden's apartment, capturing him and the junkie. Elsewhere, the same thugs who attacked Oliver earlier are waiting for their friends, the same junkie that was caught by the heroes, to return with their fix. Ray Harper appears to be with them. Suddenly, Green Lantern and Green Arrow burst through the ceiling and subdue the junkies. Oliver assumes that Roy is undercover and tells him to sit the remainder of the mission out while he takes out the dealers. The junkies lead Green Lantern and Green Arrow to the dealer's hideout, but they turn on the duo in order to get their fixes as a reward. With the heroes subdued, the dealers forcibly intoxicate them with their drugs and plan to discredit them by calling the police. Fortunately, before the police can arrive, Roy shows up and gets them to safety with some effort. Back in Arrow's tenement, Roy explains that without a father figure, someone might look to comfort for drugs. Despite this, Oliver is horrified to discover that Roy has become junkie himself while he and Green Lantern were traveling cross-country. Um, and the cover, which is an iconic cover, is uh, Green Lantern and uh, Green Arrow looking on at Speedy, who uh, has drug paraphernalia laid out in front of him, um, his hands over his uh, inside of his elbow, and Green Lantern saying, you always have the answers, Green Arrow. Well, what's your answer to that? And Green Arrow saying, my ward Speedy is a junkie. Uh, and also says that DC attacks do spray his problem drugs. So we are now at a point where DC is directly tackling what they believe to be a social problem. And uh, to DC's credit, uh, they actually had a long campaign of continually bring this up. This wasn't like one issue and then never really brought up again. Uh, DC regularly brought up drug use in his comics, granted in a relatively contained way. But, uh, and later on, it was much more, uh, they did comic, Teen, Teen Titan comics specifically, uh, they were done some drug awareness comics were done, but they were non-canonical and sometimes hilariously non-canonical. Like, for example, they couldn't use Robin, who was the leader of the Teen Titans. But, uh, Drug awareness was something that was surprisingly prevalent in DC comics around this time. Uh, so um, I kind of want to uh, skim through uh, the, the, the scene with Ollie trying to find help is really heartbreaking. And it's much more a testament to kind of what uh, New York was like at the time, although the city is not named, it's, it's heavily implied to be New York. Um, so this is really all page four and a little bit of page five, um, where a lot of it's, it's dialogueless again. Um, it's just Neil Adams selling Ollie in pain. Um, he's hunched over a, a woman in a fur coat and a man in a suit walk by and basically saying, it's not smart to get involved. Maybe we should go on anybody's then I don't get involved. Um, him crawling to a phone booth only to find it's out of order, him crawling to a cop and saying, help me. And the cop says, go home and sleep it off, fella, and just walks away from him. Um, he tries to hail a cab silently, and the cab goes off-duty, just you know, turns off-duty, sign on. Uh, he uh, makes it to the hospital. Um, he says, I need a doctor. And the nurse, the check-in nurse says, we're very busy tonight. Could you come back in the morning? Uh, and then he just says, isn't modern civilization wonderful? And collapses. Uh, so this is peak Oliver Queen in this era, right? It, it's the, I'm dying. I'm going to die on the floor of your hospital while spouting anti-capitalist propaganda. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, and even the captions like, not even the busiest medical staff can ignore a man lying on the floor with an arrow jutting out of his shoulder, especially when he's blocking the corridor. 
Uh, so even like the caption tries to lift him off the hook, but kind of implies that maybe they wouldn't do it if he wasn't blocking the corridor. So it is a extremely cynical take on uh, what's happened. Um, but, um, and then of course the whole scene is with, with them claiming they can pay his bill at the front desk, which for those of you who don't live in America, I am envious of your healthcare system because that is a very real problem. Uh, so, um, anyway, uh, he, this is when he re- learns that it's, uh, his arrow. He mentions that he has not been spending time with, uh, Speedy for a month, which sets up a kind of what is going. And really, I, I, I didn't mention this, but we have not seen Speedy at all during this crossover season. So really from a reader perspective, they haven't seen Speedy since either, uh, the Justice League issues or the spinoff Teen Titan issues. Now, Speedy is in Teen Titans separately at this time, but I believe he disappears around the time of the story. And while I haven't checked on the 70s Teen Titans stuff, I do believe his addiction does come up in those issues. I know it comes up. Uh, him, him being a recovering addict comes up in the 80s comics. I don't know if they come in the late 70s comics. Um, uh, there's an, another great kind of using the layout moment uh, on bottom of page nine. Uh, where the uh, landlord uh, punches Ollie in his injured arm. And there's a series of small overlapping panels off to the side of Ollie's face grimacing in pain from being punched. And it's a small moment, but also shows a little bit of movement as you see kind of the evolution of his grimaces. Again, that kind of peek into the decompression uh, era we'll see in in coming decades. Um, And then... uh, the actual payoff is, I mean, I'm kind of skipping ahead. Um, there, there's one point where uh, they actually dope up Green Arrow and Green Lantern to uh, make him look like that, that baby. Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be described by the police, but uh, Speedy manages to keep him. And then there's one point where uh, Green Arrows um, manifests this horrible monster because it's, it's, he's tripping. And it's painted with kind of a yellow green, which is nice because it's, it's evoking the green of the green lantern. Uh, I said green arm and green lantern, uh, green lantern manifests monster. So it's evoking his green, but also the yellow that green lantern is, you know, uh, can't, can't always has, has the problems with. So kind of a nice touch of that kind of that lime green look. But uh, anyway, so here's the, the part where holy shit, green arrow and green lantern are done. So, this case is over. Uh, Green Lantern, being the conservative guy, is like, why do people even do drugs? Uh, and Speedy says, say young cat has someone he respects, looks up to, an older man. And say as the older man leaves, chases around the country, gets involved with others, and ignores his young friends. Then the guy might need a substitute for friendship. He might seek it in junk. So they leave. <laughs> they go, okay, whatever, Speedy. They leave. Uh, then uh, he comes back and says, "You know, actually, I should be a log. I should, I should spend some time with my young lord. I'll make him some dinner." He goes back in to see Speedy shooting up, and then I'll talk about it a little bit next issue. But basically, Green Arrow is surprised that Speedy wasn't just undercovered; he's actually a junkie. Now, uh, this is not helped by the fact that that twist. The very last panel is basically a mirror of the cover, with the exception of Green Lantern's not in that scene. So uh, that that part is thing. But the, the whole twist of the story that Speedy is a junkie is on the cover. So we, as the reader, aren't surprised by this. So I tried to take that out of my consideration and go, okay, maybe I'm just prejudiced because I know what the cover says. But that that read is so specific. It's like no, he's he's talking about Oliver, and Oliver just. Right over, completely misses him. Um, which is, I think, actually an interesting character point because that's <laughs> Speedy's right. You know, it's like Ollie says, Oliver, he didn't even notice when he was talking about him. So it's like Speedy has a valid point. Um, putting aside the fact that uh, uh, that's not how drug abuse works, that's not how any of this works. But um, it does bring up to a, a point that some people might be attracted to drugs because 
what else do they have to load for it? It's something it's an escape. Uh, this specific reason, pretty goddamn contrived, but um, the the it's it's a, it's an honest attempt to try to look at why people abuse drugs and that punching a drug dealer is not going to solve this problem. So the comic's at least addressing that. Uh, so let's go to part two of the story because that was a cliffhanger. Uh, so issue 86, they say it'll kill me, but they won't say when. Uh, again, the cover is uh, uh, Ollie holding Speedy uh, with a huge needle behind him and says more deadly than the atom bomb. So the the, the politics of this issue are pretty goddamn clear. Uh, so Green Arrow is enraged to discover that his ward, Roy Harper, is addicted to heroin, punching him and throwing him out of his tenement, which is a great way to help someone get off drugs. Even so, Oliver doubts his own self-righteousness and sets out to bring the dealers who ensnared his ward to justice. When both have left, two of the remaining junkies that associate with Roy break into the tenement hoping to find him, but they are distracted when they find Roy's abandoned drug paraphernalia. They decide to get high, but soon one of them collapses dead from an overdose. His companion runs away. An hour later, Hal Jordan has suspicions about Speedy's explanation of why some youngsters turn to drugs and turns to investigate as a Green Lantern. When he arrives at Oliver's house, he discovers a junkie's corpse. Green Lantern finds Roy hiding in an alley, and Roy admits his addiction. He refuses the doctor's help and plans to go cold turkey to spite Oliver. Lantern decides to take Roy to the home of Dinah Lance to deal with his problems. Dinah Lance is black and Meanwhile, Green Arrow returns to the warehouse where the dealers are meeting with the junkies searching for evidence. Despite a broken arm, he overpowers one of the dealers and gets the information he needs. He follows the lead to a boat where he is soon attacked and subdued by a man named Solomon Hooper. Hooper's men knock Arrow off the pier where he is tied to an anchor, but he uses a sidling trick arrow to free himself because, of course, he has a sidling torch arrow. Arrow and Lantern track Hooper to the Caribbean where he visits his drug lab. They angrily attack and capture Hooper and his lab technician. Later, Oliver, Hal, Dinah, and Roy attend the funeral of the junkie who overdosed in the tenement. Roy confronts his mentor, angrily blaming him for his recently kicked addiction, and storms off. Despite this, Oliver is visibly proud of his ward. Um, so this, this is kind of part two of that. I'm not going to go into a ton of it. Um, I will say a couple things. Uh, I grew up in a family that had struggled with addictions. Um, I have thankfully, knock on wood, uh, managed to avoid this particular evil, but uh, I have had several members of my family who died from alcohol and drug abuse. So the scene of your friends breaking into your house, worried about you seeing drugs and deciding to stop everything and and get high really resonated with me. It, It seems like a massive contrivance, and certainly the accidentally overdose because you're not familiar with the supply you're testing is a bit of a contrivance. But the whole idea of junkies just stopping everything to do to get high feels very real to me. Um, there's a great visual moment where um, uh, the one junkie finds his friend dead from overdosing on page five. Uh, there's this kind of psychedelic aura around um, the junkies, but both of them are portrayed strictly in black and white. Uh, so it's an interesting nod to the psychedelia of their era they're coming out of and the stark reality of the death. So it's a nice art color choice to really kind of sell that moment in a way that just is visually interesting you don't see very often. Um, there's another one in uh, page 10 where uh, kind of similar to what we talked about a couple issues ago. Um, it's now Hal Jordan thinking back on stuff. Uh, as we see, the whole shape is basically Hal Jordan's face in green and yellow shapes, and then inside of his head are the panels of the flashback. So it's, it's you know, Neil Adams starting to kind of recycle his tricks, but again, they're, they're great tricks. So, I mean, if, if a trick works well, keep using it. Um, one thing is that uh, the Hooper Pharmaceuticals uh, that we didn't talk about is that uh, – uh, Hooper is actually owns a company called Hooper Pharmaceuticals. He is extremely rich. He has a woman on his arm. He's going on yachts. Um, he's carrying the drugs in his briefcase because who would stop a wealthy businessman in church's baggage? Uh, so this is a also a, t- a toy at the kind of upper class, lower class dynamic of drug distribution. Uh, it's a bit contrived in, in the sense of, you know, uh, an American corporation is actually making drugs that that seems implausible, but certainly the idea that people are getting rich off of poor people's desperation does resonate well. So it's like it, it's a comic book attempt to look at an actual real world problem and, and the the uh, financial dynamics of drug addiction. Um, so Speedy 
just kicked heroin. He just toughs it out, and now he's fine. Uh, that's okay, kind of implausible, but uh, in, in, in that memory, he backslides a few times in the uh, Teen Titans thing. Is that and also uh, they bring up like my understanding is that the kind of seventies era. This, you know, he was a junkie, but now it's over, and so we never talk about it again. Um, in the uh, Marv Wolfman uh, era, this comes up at least now and then. Uh, even if it's times where it's like, hey, I need to drink water, or hey, I need to go because I'm an addict. So the addiction, his being a former addict plays a role in his life, even if it's an extremely minor one. But also, speech doesn't show up much in those issues anyway, so meh. Uh, now I get issue 87, and this is part where... Um, Green Arrow is actually a backup story in the Green Lantern comic, so they're not crossing over. Uh, I debated not even covering the Green Lantern one, but it is the first appearance of Jon Stewart, so I do want to at least talk about it a little bit. Uh, so uh, the first issue is uh, Beware My Power. As Green Lantern charges his ring, an earthquake hits Coast City. He investigates saving lives, including that of his friend Guy Gardner, who was injured after being hit by a bus. How worries that with Guy out of the commission, there'll be no one to replace him if something goes wrong. Suddenly, the image of one of the Guardians of the Universe appears, stating there must be an alternative replacement selected. The Guardians lead Green Lantern to a ghetto where Jon Stewart is standing up to a police officer. Hal has his doubts about Stewart, but the Guardian is insistent. After Hal explains the job, Jon Stewart accepts, joking that he would need to call the Black Guardian. Hal teaches John the oath and gives John a ring. Hal creates a green garden uniform for John, but John refuses to wear the domino mask. He tosses aside, saying, This black man lets it all hang out. I've got nothing to hide. Together, the lanterns deal with a protest against Jeremiah Clutcher, a racist senator, but John seems ambivalent. Hal signs John to protect Senator Clutcher, teach him a lesson, but when the would be assassin attacks Clutcher, John refuses to act, and Hal is forced to chase the assassin down by himself. Despite his earlier inaction, John thwarts a gunman from killing a nearby policeman. When Howard returns to chastise John Stewart, John reveals that he had seen both gunmen earlier and allowed the assassin to escape because he knew the gun contained blanks. Both shootings were part of a ploy to make it seem as though John was on a rampage and Clutcher was a hero. Afterward, Hal admits he was not a fan of John's style, but nonetheless accepts him as a recruit, to which the other replies that style is no more important than the color of one's skin. So, I was talking about heavy-handed social issues, and this is definitely another stance that um, John Stewart is clearly kind of representing a lot of black issues at once. Um, and I'm not qualified to, to speak on those, but uh, the couple of points that I find interesting from a continuity standpoint is that um, he mentions at one point that uh, actually here's the line quote, considering jobs are they plentiful for black architects in the land for three of these days. And I haven't worked in weeks. So time's not a problem. Sure. I'll try your gig. So he's an architect day one. And the fact that he is a skilled black man is an interesting choice compared to a lot of other black characters being portrayed in the 70s. Um, black heroes weren't even allowed to be portrayed in comic books in the 60s. So he went from no black heroic characters to several, but a lot of them were stereotypical. And so for DC to kind of go from the point where in the 60s, uh, a Teen Titan comics book had to be rewritten because it was going to feature a black hero. Uh, to now, we have not only a black hero, but also one who has a respectable skill set is a fast change. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to say credit where it's due, but it is interesting to note that while a lot of John's uh, actions can come across stereotypical, he is an architect and he is smart. He figured out this plan before Hal did. So uh, I believe it's like uh, uh, John Stewart's not going to be that contrast that Ollie was to uh, Hal Jordan. Um, and certainly John Stewart becomes a, a fascinating Green Lantern in his own right, who is still there to his day. Frankly, John Stewart is my favorite Green Lantern. Uh, but that's a lot due to the Justice League cartoon from the 90s. But still, John Stewart's amazing. Um, so I, I wanted to at least talk about the fact that if you're reading issue 87 anyway for the Green Lantern stuff, definitely worth checking out the John Stewart story in front. But the actual Green Arrow story, uh, which is what can man, one man do? Star City Mayor Jack Mayer, sorry, Jack Major, decides not to run for re-election, prompting his staff to search for a suitable replacement, and Oliver Queen's name comes up. 
Meanwhile, Oliver is struggling with feels of uneasiness and wonders whether his alter ego of Green Lantern is worth keeping up. Green Arrow is worth keeping up. When the mayor's representatives present their offer to Oliver, he calls up his Justice League friends for advice, but they're all discouraging. He resigns himself to being Green Arrow and heads to Dino Lance's place across town. On his way, Oliver comes across an angry mob, and as he wades through it, he watches a young black boy is shot in the back before his eyes. He carries the boy to one of the many ambulances waiting on the periphery, who rushes the boy to the hospital, but unfortunately, the youngster dies in the operating room. A devastated Green Arrow walks away into the night. Later, Oliver visits Dinah, who reveals that his experiences dealing with the riot have inspired him to run for mayor. Um, so, uh, this is a much shorter story. Uh, and, um, again, we have a great Art Adams page on page two, where we see Oliver in costume and out of costume back to back, uh, above him is him both in and out of costume doing a variety of things. And it's all in kind of muted greens. And then the shape of their bodies actually makes the panel of, uh, of a young black man, uh, coming out of a tenement. So it's, it, that really tells a lot of the story right there. Uh, more interesting to me is, uh, the sense that Oliver's directly dealing with being a superhero does not bring about meaningful social change, which is fascinating in a superhero comic. Uh, and it's particularly interesting Although not surprising that when he calls up uh, Wonder Woman and Batman and, uh, you know, uh, Green Lantern and Superman, they're all like, but it'll be too much of a problem. You know, what about your secret identity? Uh, you know, what's going on? And uh, as a side note, at one point, um, he was talking to Bruce Wayne. It's like, you were a senator once. And uh, Bruce says, mayor of a big city is much tougher than being a senator. I didn't know Batman was a senator. I apparently... Uh, doing some research that is due to um, uh, one of his Brave and the Bold issues, which are kind of wobbly canon, so take that for what you will. Uh, this is before DC kind of sorted out what is and isn't canon, so they kind of ignored and kept whatever made sense. So it was an interesting nod, if nothing else. But the superheroes of the establishment are like, no, you can't. This, this will be too convenient for you. This will be too inconvenient for us. This is a bad idea. And Oliver's like, I don't want to do that, but maybe this is the only thing I can do. Uh, side note, he then takes off across town using a rocket-powered arrow because of because why the fuck not? Um, we are... I'm not mentioning as many trick arrows because that era is fading. It is not gone. Uh, so trick arrows still will randomly pop up, but it does seem less frequent than they did in the uh, Justice League of America era. Uh, so you know, it's, it's really too many examples. There's another one in one issue kind of glossed over of a blunt arrow, where basically it's knocks somebody out as opposed to stabbing them. Um, that's on the borderline whether it's even a trick arrow, but like assembling torch arrow and rocket powered arrow are still kind of because the plot demands it arrows. So because the plot demands it arrows are still around, but they're not as ubiquitous. And I'll be curious to see if that changes going forward. Um, so uh, uh, there's another point where um, as Oliver Queen's riding in the ambulance to the hospital, all the captions actually change to a quote from a farewell to arms by Ernest Hemingway. I'm not a huge fan of Hemingway, but I at least respect the idea of trying to really sell the moment of how, frustrated and furious and sad Oliver is. And it's it's interesting, again, peak Oliver Queen of like, yes, everyone's told me this is a bad idea, but I'm pissed off and I need to do something, so I'm doing this. And I don't think this goes anywhere. I don't think Oliver Queen's run for mayor goes anywhere, but... Again, it's an interesting touch because Oliver Queen being mayor is a pretty significant plot point in the Arrow TV show, as well as losing his fortune. So as I read more, I'm seeing, oh, I remember that in Arrow. Oh, I remember that in Arrow. It's definitely a, a remixed, uh, a reorganized version of these stories. But, you know, the Oliver Queen becomes more socially conscious. That, that's actually pretty baked into the story. Um, Oliver Queen being rich and then becoming poor, Oliver Queen becoming mayor. 
that was something I thought was distinct to the TV show. Turns out, no, there's actually some precedent in the comics. So that was exciting to find. Uh, but uh, that is kind of the, the where I'm going to stop with the 70s of Green Arrow. Uh, after this, um, he kind of uh, fades from view again. Uh, and then we're going to get into the post-crisis of Infinite Earths era. So that'll be fun to talk about with Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters issues one through three. So start reading up on those on the DC Infinite app or wherever you get your comic books. And I will catch you next time. <laughs>